The Healthy Golf Podcast, Episode 48, with Hillary Bennett. Welcome to the Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast, and I'm very excited to bring on a high-performance golf coach, Hillary Bennett. Hillary, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, let's just go right into it, Hillary. So why don't you go ahead and tell everyone kind of a little bit about yourself, kind of who you are, your background, and kind of how you got to working with golfers and where you are today. Sure. Yeah. So I started golf at the age of eight. Um, my parents got me into it. My mom was really keen on it. My father was certainly not against it. I just know that my mom at the time was feeling passionate about golf too. So that's kind of interesting. Coming in at it uh, from both parents was a, not to say that that's an anomaly, but for me it was. And I first got on the golf course um, and loved the game, met really great people at that age. I went to one junior camp then and then fell in love. I thought that was probably the best thing to do if it was something new for a kid. I think that that was a really nice way to introduce people to the game. And from there, I played on and off uh, through, you know, through my preteens into my teens, met up with certain people that were passionate about it. So played a little bit more golf, depending on my cohort of peers at the time in the summer that were available. I never was ever uh, not given what I wanted in, in terms of sport and things like I was very privileged and greatly um, just blessed with it. I had a lot of support. And so it was always fun in the beginning. And I played a lot of different athletics growing up. And golf wasn't my main focus at the time. It was a little bit of music. And it was a lot of figure skating at the time and volleyball. Played all sports in school because it was just fun. And I was a competitive person, but just enjoyed team play. And then eventually went to university. And two years into school, I had got away from competitive sport and that structure. And I fell sort of to procrastination and distracting myself with things that weren't useful for my body and for my brain. And I got a little bit away from what I was my whole life. And I realized something was missing. And I wanted to try out for the golf team uh, at the school I was at. I was going to Western at the time. It was 2009. Well, so I guess it was the summer uh, for tryouts. My dad got me five quick lessons in course management with a guy in Lindsay, Ontario. Uh, he and I spent five rounds together. Couldn't fix a swing in five day, five lessons, so we were just focused on what I could do. And uh, he worked on my mindset, so it was interesting. I didn't even catch what was going on when we were doing course management, but it was how to actually think on the golf course. So it was like a blessing in disguise. And I went away from it for a while. I made the team and I played and I played with wicked girls. They were number one, five years running it out of the province and they were an awesome team. I made a eighth place in Ontario in my last year. It was a surprise to me, but I played good enough that I was in the top 10 in the province for collegiate golf in Canada. And uh, from there, I left it alone, went into the business world, human resources, came all the way back around it after a few years in sales, dealing with people's HR functions and how to reward and recognize people. And I realized that it was great. Like I love the business and I was really good at motivating people and organizing them. I just wasn't in the right niche. 
And so I got into coaching by going back to school for a year. I didn't want to take a weekend course in personal training. I'd been out of health science since 2010 in school when I was playing golf at varsity level. And from there, I chose by a marketing coach said you should do the one you believe is the most functional for what you're trying to teach. And you should niche down to a sport that you're passionate about. And I thought, well, golf is it. Golf is a lifelong thing. It's a you versus you game. Uh, the mindset, the resilience you need, the respect you need for your opponent, the honor system of counting your score as well. Like there's so many good things that came with golf. So I dove in and went, okay, I'm taking my personal training and my health coaching certifications and golf it is. And so here I am. <laughs> awesome. That's so awesome. That's such a, uh, a great story. I mean, it seems like Thanks. a lot of times, um, so many people tend to gravitate away towards what they really love to do because I mean, this is a completely different rabbit hole, but you know, people tell them that it's not worth their time or, yeah. you know, it's like a pipe dream or whatever it may be. Right. But I think in today's, today's world, I mean, anything can really happen with the technology that we have. I mean, totally, you can access just about anything you want and access people across the world that you didn't have access to gosh, 20 years ago, I guess. I know. Point, who knows? Right. It's like but, real life Star Trek. I, yeah, I, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like it's just but, crazy for sure. Awesome. So you you played in college. You played college golf. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And then you have your degree in health sciences, you said? Yes. Yeah. Very good. Cool. So what led you more towards kind of the mindset aspect? Uh, and that was it that kind of those five days on the course management with that one person or I'm sure was it's an amalgamation of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a combination, but that, that in hindsight, I realized I was being uh, bred for it. Then uh, it took a little while for me to clue in that mindset is where it's at because I didn't take the minor in psych that I should have in school. I did take a lot of psychology classes and love them. Lots were really, really, um, they were, they were tough in a good way. Lots of reading, had to understand memory work. And I just felt like I was an imposter in the industry. So for a long time, my limiting belief of I'm not really totally suited for this because I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a sports psychologist, that this isn't going to be where I fit. And I, and I got injured really badly, actually, after a couple of years in the training world. Had nothing to do with training principles. It, I felt it was more emotional and it just shows up in the body. Um, but bad shoulder injuries, gut issues, really just not feeling at 100%. And I, I feel like I was going down a business path. And it's funny, the timing, I thought, oh, my life is over. And then in those down in that downtime, you know, um, my spouse, it was supportive and helpful. And I was allowed to the space to heal. And, and so it's, it's like, it was a gift. It was a it was a nightmare that was actually a gift. And, and I had the space to think and feel and think and feel and then overthink and overfeel. And eventually out of that cycle, I realized, wow, I just wrote half of a book on all the things that could have been better about all these things in my life. And it came from my headspace and came from thought patterns. And then my life shifted, my life shifted into understanding that your thoughts dictate perception. And then, then your perception is how you take in your reality and you could be an eternal optimist or you can be an eternal pessimist. And I think I did both of those coming into this. And because of that, 
and all those things that spark those adversities in me, I realized, wow, this isn't a physical game. It's a mental game. Life doesn't stop. Our beliefs don't stop when we get on the golf course. They're carried with you. And so let's make the bag lighter. And then I started to figure out practically. So I got a hypnotherapist certification because I felt that the meditation side, the neurology and the science coming out of us using only parts of our brain and not accessing the full brain capacity was really intriguing to me. And so I went into hypnotherapy because I thought it was a great solution to complement my own uh, mindset work that I did. I also went to psychotherapy myself. I got feedback in that environment that said, like, you're made to speak. Like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you leading in this? You don't need all these tools. So I am certified in my health coaching realm with cognitive behavioral therapy and neurolinguistic programming. And I have a hypnosis there um, certificate. And it taught me that it isn't about making people cluck like a chicken. Whoa, isn't that funny? It's not the way it was in entertainment. It has a it has a function and and it teaches me about brainwave states and which ones are where the problems are and how to access them and then how to release. And so it's been so all in all, the adversity led me to mindset. I recognized in my own adversities that it was something that a lot of people probably would have needed. And I was so far I'm finding it to be working. I can see its purpose and every single person that comes on board and it works for them, you know, it, it picks up, it picks up speed. Awesome. Such a, so many great things, but we were talking a little bit off air about kind of breath and breathing. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure plenty of golfers have heard this before. I, in fact, I've interviewed other people who have talked about how important breath can be when it yep. comes to the golf game, but let's hear it from kind of your perspective and how that plays its role into our mindset and how we perform on the course and um, just kind of, I guess, your experience with the golfers that you work with and how that kind of affects their game and, and everyone's game really. Yes, of course. So I picked ground your game as a name because breathing is grounding and it makes us way more conscious and aware. And it applies in just a funny, um, in a punny way, I guess, because we the sport we play against is the ground. So make it our ally, There's lots of great things. And inside breathing, I notice, I have a couple clients of mine that are recent amputees who have a different mindset that's, and I have, eight-year-olds and I have 16-year-olds and they're all using the same techniques. I just deliver it to them at a level that they understand and that that works for them. And there's many breathing tools, but the idea of breath is we want to ensure that we can engage the left hemisphere of the brain and the right hemisphere of the brain. And there's many ways that yogis and ancient uh, techniques that can do that all the way through to just practical breathing that uses imagery and visualization. It's whatever people are comfortable with. And so one of the ones that I give that is across the board in not only the setting of uh, breath therapy, but also in terms of the yogic world, and I would consider that breath therapy too, but I, I try to go on east and west as best as I can and what's been what's worked. And it's the getting to an inhale, pause and exhalation of 20 seconds each and what that does to the physiological body and how you feel constricted or open in that process. So that's been the most effective technique that I've given. And it can only be a five second breath in, five second hold, five second exhalation. And all of those um, 
all of that time that you're spending there is not only bringing your awareness inside your body, but it's also activating the brain to focus in a different way. And so I use this technique. It's short and sweet. You could do it to the next tee if you had to. You can do it walking, laying, sitting, swimming. I don't care if you do it. Um, don't inhale underwater, but I don't mind if you take a breath and want to do the rest underwater. <laughs> but it's, you know, and don't throw yourself in the pond on the golf course. No, but this one is the best techniques uh, out of all of them that I've used so far. You know, I give kids imagery inhale up your finger down your finger and so i give tactile functioning ones or color with your eyes closed and and techniques uh for tee shots but the ultimate one that i find the most useful is that equal breath in hold and down it brings us back very quickly and it calms all the emotions that are physically coming out of the body that are going to be low frequency to me heavy heavy rather than light and open and flowing well so cool so before we go any further, and I don't yeah. want to get dive too deep to be like too sciencey, but like when I know you said you're aiming for like 20 seconds, if someone can't do it that long, or is the goal, I know you said that they can do it for five seconds, is yeah. the goal to try to like build up to 20 seconds? It would be. Yeah. And then you try to cycle through that about eight times if you can do it. So if you can only do it to three to five or 10 to 15 to 20 breaths, whatever, wherever you're at, you try to do it once. And you try to do it twice in a row, three times in a row, and you do it for eight cycles. And the idea is it's an eight-minute process. And that would be the the end goal. But the all the other ones certainly provide useful information to the body. And I always want to meet somebody where they're at. So if your body is taking in a comfortable three-second breath, hold, and exhale, we're sticking to it. And it will go to four. And it will go to five. And it will go to six when it's ready. Awesome. No, that's, that's super actionable and like anyone can do that. And like you said, you, yeah. you can do it anywhere, whatever you're doing. Like you said, though, don't, don't take a breath in underwater. That, that would not be good. Yeah, that's uh, the only one disclaimer. Yeah, please don't. don't. <laughs> totally off topic. I have to tell this very quickly. <laughs> okay. I'm a, I'm a physical do. therapist and I, at the time was when I was working in an office with some colleagues. And so to help people assist their range of motion, if they're having trouble, We'll have mm -hmm. them get into the pool and help them do exercises there. Awesome. My, my coworker had a, a woman who had recent, I want to say shoulder surgery. It was definitely her shoulder. And yeah. he was telling her to go into the pool to get some assistance from the water so she can lift her arm up overhead. And well, we, or he thought it was common sense to not tell her to to not go under the water to do it. So she said that every time she was in the pool, she would get yelled at by the, um, the lifeguard on duty to not do it. And she, and she told my coworker that, but she forgot, she failed to mention that she was underneath the water, like holding her breath. So she's doing this looking like, I guess like she's flailing her arms a little bit and then she needs Oh help. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, she, it and then my coworker the was assumption. like, Yeah, he was like, I don't understand this. I was like, dude, the only assumption is that she's underneath the water and holding yeah. her breath and doing that. And lo and behold, she was. Oh my so goodness. We Good had catch. to tell her not not but... to do that. Yeah. So anyway, back on topic. We're gonna do a, a, a podcast faux pas, but I don't care. Um yesterday <laughs> we finished great. up the mask. We finished no, it's up a the good learning experience. I find. <laughs> yes, we finished up the masters yesterday. Yeah, um, Hideki Matsuyama. I mean, 
tell me some of these things that you're thinking about as like a high performance coach, especially, I mean, Justin Rose had the lead for, you know, two days in a row, pretty much yep. came out the first day and lit the course on fire compared to that. I'm else. a veteran. <laughs> Get out of my yep. way. Don't and worry. then Hideki Matsuyama lit the course on fire. What was that Saturday afternoon? And, and he stopped. had, <laughs> yep. Hadn't stopped, but he had some faltering points, uh, yesterday. Definitely. And then I'm sure we'll definitely talk about Xander on the 16th, but you know, what are these guys doing so well, um, that maybe some of, some of us regular golfers aren't doing so well. Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is let's stick with, uh, Xander and Hideki for a minute. The, and they are the main event of the, of that final grouping, of course. Uh, and they have the most pressure and we know in any major setting, especially at the masters, the leader after Saturday, they always say is never the winner, not never, but is likely not the winner at the end. So not only did Hideki overcome his own obstacles, he also overcame that and the external world. And that shows you right away his center. It shows you his his fearlessness. It shows you his faith, shows you his passion, and it shows your his resilience. And so I'm going to quote Xander, might not be exact quote, but we'll paraphrase. Uh, when he was speaking to Amanda after his round, he said, and there was Hideki, like a like ro- a robot, robotic. And it's interesting, right? Because here's two mirrors looking at each other. Psychology 101, everybody is a mirror. We reflect upon each other. What we think, uh, you you see in reflection that's around you, that's attracted toward you. That's how, how you see. It's how you perceive. Sanders seeing Hideki as a robotic thing that can't be broken can't put a virus inside of a robot he can't that's how his view but Hideki's wasn't that of himself Hideki was nervous from the first full through to the end he said it in his interview so it's a very interesting thing that we perceive our reality when it isn't in fact the truth and so it's an it's a compliment that he looks robotic he probably is like the Tiger Woods. He grew up watching Tiger. So that's exactly what Tiger did. And I would also say that tar- Tiger probably doesn't get as nervous as Hideki was. He probably is a little bit, I think he's one of the anomalies in the game in, in for mental capacity and confidence, self-acceptance and, and, and able to really thrive. But it's interesting to see. Xander even said that instead of getting off the course, I would have been in tears if I was Xander. He was like, I was on fire. I all of a sudden kid became, I was fire for a minute there and I gave him something to make more exciting, you know, and it was awesome because he was complimenting. He was proud of it. It wasn't such an issue that maybe in the past people criticized Xander that he is too much in his head or something. So it's very interesting to hear that interview and Hideki's after and that those two experiences were totally different. So that's, where I, as a mindset coach, when I watch now, that's what I'm listening for. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking at their body language. I'm listening to the way they take interviews throughout the week that they play and uh, how they look at each other and what that's doing to them. So, awesome. I mean, let's go again. We talked about this a little bit off air, but let's talk about maybe a little bit of what you know in terms of Hideki, maybe, maybe more so being, Japanese, they have a different way of thinking than uh, most Western cultures do. And um, I'm sure everyone has seen the viral picture at this point of Hideki's 
caddy kind of yeah. giving respect at the 18th hole when he put the the pin back in, you know, took his hat off and just nodded. And um, again, bowed. A- Asian, bowed at the hole. Yep. Asian well, culture, yep. Asian culture yeah. tends to have a little bit more of that than uh, most Western cultures do. Um, yeah. And, you know, maybe how does that play a role into how Hideki did and, and how it, you know, helps him mentally. And like you said, he's very centered and, um, you know, at least to us didn't seem to falter very much. Yeah. And, and his internal, internal turmoil was obviously not outweighing his, his passion and his belief in himself. And your caddy is your teammate. Your caddy has to align. It has to be your mirror. It has to be the mirror that challenges you the most, that you respect the most to listen to and trust the most. And there's an energy there at all times. And the energy of the caddy's job is to manipulate the energy of the player when the player themselves cannot manipulate it for themselves. And that's how I look at, I look at it in a Tesla way. I look at it from a frequency, energy, vibrational state and what a push and pull relationship looks like. And when it's pushed, when it's pulled and the dynamics of that. And that sometimes isn't, well, I think that the pros consider that when they choose caddies. I think that they choose caddies they align with the most at that current moment. It doesn't always have to say that you don't outgrow each other or there's, you know, better use of caddies to go to different players and players to go to other caddies, you know, but this dynamic seemed to showcase what it takes. And I'm very happy for them both. The Japanese culture, they are, they are more in tune with being still. Their culture is more in the parasympathetic state than it is the sympathetic state. I think that there are business realms in Japan that are not. And I also consider, you know, I, I don't want to blanket that, you know, there aren't that in the, in the West and, and et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying mm-hmm. in that way. Um, but I do on average see that they have this inner faith, this inner knowing their reality is perceived differently than ours. That whole game could have been, and I'm going to assume with Hideki, he can speak for himself, but that game essentially for him might have been being taken in a lot differently than the way the West takes in the golf course. Mm. You know, it, that's an assumption, but I it's an observation of me watching him over a long period of time. This isn't the first tournament that we've seen Matsuyama. And, and I do believe that if you can invoke the power of your inner sanctuary, your inner peace, your, your calm, there's power there. And they obviously know how to, like the people that do this all the time know how to produce that result. So, you know, whether you believe in something that's outside of yourself or not, if you can invoke the feeling of something being around you that supports you and you can perceive that you have something to draw upon, you know, this unlimited um, supply of power that you get from your understanding and your belief in yourself. That's why I'm saying it as a, is it external to you? Because if you don't believe it, you have to find something that's going to make you believe in it, right? So whether you, you know, whether there's atheists in the world or God, you know, God believing people, it doesn't matter. It's how do we find that feeling and how does it match the thought in our heads so that those two things take off together? We've all been over a putt that we know is going to go in. What is that feeling? That's a sixth sense to me. That's your gut. That's your intuition. It's your innate. And I believe the Eastern culture teaches us to tap into our innate a little bit 
more than the West. Think it's changing, but that would be yes. me going out on a, you know, I'm putting myself out there to, that's sure. my belief. Well, couple things. So let's, let's go right into that then. So like how, how do you as a golfer, when, like you just said, when you're standing over a putt and you know, it's going to go in right. Versus a putt, like, how do you find that feeling or, or what can you do to maybe find that feeling that when, you know, instead of being two feet away from the hole, you're let's say 15 feet and yeah, maybe not necessarily that it's going to go in, but to have that feeling instead of saying, let's just hope I can get it within two feet so I can put it in without a problem. The next putt, right? Yeah. So when I'm teaching people, I, I say, walk me through some form of short game approach or an approach shot into the green and then walk me through what your head is saying all the way up. And, and that's a huge part of it is you get over the ball and set your expectation as a limitation right away. But I get that if you don't believe you can't feel how you think that it's going to go in, it won't. And so then the breathing comes in, in breathing practice comes in. If you can't change it mentally, we change it physically. We change it physiologically. We try to tap in. I ask people to not go into their library of negative pessimistic memories, but we automatically do because fight or flight teaches us, right? The mammalian side of our brain, right? The reptilian side. And then we come to the neocortex and then we're in the cerebellum, but not we're not always functioning in the cerebellum, like in the same space as we should be. Um, we sometimes think smaller than we are. A lot of the times because our fight or flight response is saying, no, 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 we don't like when you do that. You're that's you'll be disappointed if you don't put it in. Then if you think that we can't have you feel that, too, that's a, your comfort zone. What happens? You might self-destruct. You know, those are all thoughts happening, you know, and every golfer has them and every golfer has a different way of getting out of it. And sometimes one way works. Some say sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's emotional. And you just have to, my job is to teach a golfer how mm -hmm. to produce self-awareness results by being self-aware. Very cool. And now yeah. my, my next point was you were talking about a caddy and how, you know, they need to be your teammate. I don't know if you, I don't know if they show this. I was kind of watching the featured groups on my laptop. And so they were following Jordan Spieth around a long time. I forget which hole it was, but he, he was in a, very in-depth conversation with his caddy at the time yeah. on a shot about really just laying up, honestly. Okay. Um, and so he kept going back and forth and like his caddy did the best job of basically saying like, I don't think you should do this without actually saying that it was very, you know, being kind <laughs> um, to not say, I don't think that you should do what you want to do. You should do this. And then Jordan um, had in his mind that he was going to do that. And then, he stopped and then grabbed another club and then, you know, I think did what the caddy wanted him to do. But, well, cool. Very yeah. cool that you perceived that. Yeah. yeah. I, and then I think, you know, that's kind of hard when you're most of, most of us don't have caddies, right? We're, we're our own caddy. Yeah. We're making our own decisions on the course. We may ask, you know, whoever we're playing with what they think might be best yeah. Or, um, you know, the, the first thing I can always think of too, is, you know, you get up to a par three and, you know, you pull your club, you get the distance, right. You pull your club and then your friend goes or whoever you're playing with, Oh, what are you hitting? And you're like, 
this and they're like oh well i have this and then your whole mind changes right so like again what can i like in my head what can people do to maybe stick to their decision like you chose you you picked a decision for a reason initially and again to me that seems like a gut decision again like mm -hmm. a, a sixth sense almost mm -hmm. but we automatically instinctively almost question it maybe too often sometimes i so, would agree again like what can people do to maybe like maybe calm that down or is there something to say like again i'm sure it has to go back to breath and there's lots of things but what do you tell people to do when maybe that's an issue? Well, we can do a few things. We need to work on confidence. We need to work on intrinsic value, not extrinsic value, and how we do not go with our own intrinsic understanding of ourselves and trust us. We don't trust ourselves. That's essentially what that is. And then you go to someone else. It doesn't mean that in like, let's just use that speed caddy example. He knows that there are times that he should trust somebody else. And he just learned a lesson. I don't know what the shot outcome was, but if he believed that his caddy was right and hit it versus did it anyway and didn't believe and trust his caddy, he wouldn't produce the shot that the caddy's looking for no matter what. But because he might've put his pride down there and said, no, Jordan, you've done this before and he's been right. And his little voice probably said that to him, that hence the change. So sometimes it says to go external, sometimes it doesn't. And there is a difference in feeling just like over that putt that you know is going to go in. And so I have to get to that understanding with the person I'm dealing with. And then we go from there. And sometimes it's we give breathing. Sometimes it's self-talk. Sometimes it's challenge the thought. So you don't always have that much time. So we have to know how to do this at, at as if it was habitual. It's just a process that's a formula we do over and over again that protects us from ourselves. And sometimes that's protect ourselves from others and protect ourselves from ourselves and knowing that difference too just the way jordan did and i do you remember what the shot outcome was like was it better yeah. did his body language change after he hit the shot like all those things I, I i'm not sure which one it was it's too bad i didn't see it no yeah i i can't maybe i wasn't paying attention to like his body language or anything along no worries those lines. but the shot yeah. was good like he laid up perfectly fine and yeah i think he was pleased with the outcome um, it was kind of hard to tell from their conversation if he was going to not like his shot was to not lay up or yeah. if maybe he was trying to think, maybe go a little bit closer, like further down, um, play more aggressively. Yeah. yeah. And his caddy is saying, you don't have to chase it that much. Yeah. Be patient with your game. Give you something solid to work with. Don't get yeah. tense. Right. Like maybe the choice he knew, no, Jordan, that's your, that's your limiting belief that you're so far behind that you have to. And, you know, like right. it's all those things that I'm just yeah. assuming, right? I'm, I'm yeah, just no. going through what they could be thinking. He knows yeah. Jordan and Jordan knows Jordan. And how yeah. that goes also changes the dynamic of that final round at the Masters. Yes. Yeah. I mean, geez. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was on the back nine. So Jordan was still playing yeah. a lot more catch up after he had, gosh, I don't know, so many close birdie putts that basically we're almost in the hole essentially. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was playing catch up and yeah, maybe you're right. I didn't even think of it from that angle. Like maybe you don't need to be this aggressive, like, you know, just, you know, you're fine. Just wait for it to come. And yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it could outcome. be right to be more aggressive right. too. So, you know, yeah. it's just, but it's a great example of that dialogue and, and they are a good team and I love when we can hear them. I think it's oh, wonderful. Yeah. I want I them think... to have privacy. I go back and forth on this, but I'm so curious. 
to know. Right. No, it's so it's so good to hear. I think even from just an amateur standpoint to think of to hear what I mean. Most of the time, when most people are playing, they're like, "All right, well, what's the distance?" That's all they really think about, right? And it's like, yeah, to hear what a high level elite golfer thinks about before they hit a shot, and like even to me, I mean, I'm not that dialed into my distances whatsoever to what these guys are, but I mean the amount of time Jordan was waiting at points watching him play because the wind would kick up. Right. And he's like, this changes it like two or three yards. And to me, that would, I'd be like, oh, whatever, doesn't matter. Just hit it. <laughs> and sometimes he might overanalyze, right? Two left hemisphere, not enough right hemisphere of creativity, intuition, knowing his gut intuition might be saying this will add more though too. So it, it's a processing and it's a communication between the brain at all times. And every player is different. Every player operates different and you want to play to their strengths, but you also want to challenge them on their weaknesses that could be used better, you know, and the parts of the game that maybe you do need to become more feel rather than analytical at times, you know, and, and can you accept yourself if you experiment with that? And, and right. because that's big on the back end of it too. So there's so many variables and every human is different. So it's always about treating the human from their, their space that they come from. I have a player that I used to work with a little, she's a nine-year-old and uh, she had, her dad wanted her to focus on the yardage and she wanted to focus on what her eyes told her a little bit more right hemisphere at the time. And I'm not saying that dad's always wrong or dad's always right. And she's always right. But in this, in this instance, she trusted her decision of club more regardless of what the right outcome was. She actually in the moment had the right club in her hand. It wasn't what the yardage said, it's what her eyes and she could feel from her experience of this hole and these types of conditions in the past. It's pretty brilliant at nine that she's yeah. doing this. <laughs> so it's like your dad just wants what's best for you. He thinks you need to be analytical, doesn't trust that you might have a pretty old soul in there. She's got a pretty awesome swing coach because you are dad and mom, you provide her with that. So maybe trust her. Maybe she does know, right? And just let her try, you know, and you just want to protect them sometimes. So it's interesting to see the caddy dynamic as a parent versus one of a professional nature. Sure. Yeah. I think a lot of times I think I posted on something on Instagram about Bryson and then you had commented yeah. on it. Someone else had commented and said that they think that Bryson is too analytical and he's not hmm. creative enough. If um, he thrives now, it's funny that, that I I know what they're trying to say, but I also think he's so creative that no one can see how out of out of touch. Like he's like literally playing the game totally different than everyone else. So I do think he's creative. Yeah. I do think there's moments that he feels comfortable in analytics, maybe too much. And I would agree on one level, he may have to watch for that going forward, that he should trust what Bryson can do. So I agree on one aspect of that for right. sure. And then the other side of it is, but I also feel that he's very much creative and, and now he's just in that space of his own and he does, he's untouchable. Nobody can tell him to do it differently. He just trusts himself. Right. No, it is like he's, he's being creative by doing the complete opposite of what everyone else is doing. Maybe not an opposite is not the right word, but no, but a completely different. different approach than what everyone yeah. else is doing. And again, he's, he's changing things, you know, on multiple fronts and yeah. whether people think that's a good thing or not, that's a different conversation. But, um, I mean, he's, he's changing things and I think it's, you know, it's another way to look at something and most people kind of get scared 
and fearful when that happens. <laughs> Intimidated by it. Maybe they can't do it well. And I don't think Bryson's way is the be all end all either. You know, and I do think that it's one way. There's many ways to swing a golf club. There's many ways to get your face square at contact the way you're supposed to. You know, it doesn't. And if your athlete believes in his process and then it fires on all cylinders, because the best way to know if the outcome is that the athlete is aligned is if the outcomes are producing. And so if they're producing performance shots or when he's making poor shots, he isn't self-destructing. Those are all progress. So if it's working, then get a team around you that believes in your thing and don't fight it. Path of least resistance, get after it. And so if Bryson's way works for you, do it. If it's not Bryson's way, then do it another way. But all criticism is a mirror. So anybody that's taken him down has to love themselves a little harder and be okay that maybe don't have to be intimidated by it. You should just look at it and go, wow, I can be envious of this because this is pretty brave to get out there and do it weird or whatever, yeah. right? Different and and right. not to other people's standards and just be who you are. So, right. And that, that was in the whole thing. And what I posted was that he talked about his process and exactly what you just said. Like, you're not going to know if it works until you go out and do it. And that's what he said. He's yeah. like, look, I'm going to try this. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, guess what? We're going to try something else. That's kind of how it goes. And that's the point of, I guess, a lot of objective data that's being taken now in golf, you know, really trying to improve everyone's game and try to get that next to that next level, that, that slight edge that over everyone else. And that's where all the, the data is coming from, which some, again, sometimes might be too much. Um, but that's what, that's what we can use or say yeah. that is, is helping you make progress or not make progress really. Yeah. And I think that being, you have to have analytics analytics, and you have to have feel, you have to have creativity and intuition in the right hemisphere and you have to have science-based evidence-based practices so that you don't injure yourself too. You know, wrong training programs aren't good. You know, we can't always go on feel because some people feel that they should be training certain parts of their body to swing harder and they're not the ones that are up the chain, right? The kinetic chain of ground your game for me from a physical standpoint of what I treat for people is that the fact that if you're not using the biggest bo uh, the biggest bones, biggest muscles in your body, which is in from the ground up to the hip, if you're using that incorrectly, it's going to go up into the shoulder and hurt you. It's going to go into the spine and hurt you. You know, you don't need all that speed to get the job done. I have 90 year olds that hit it straight and they're within four strokes of me sometimes. Like I have at a 71 year old scratch female golfer with an elbow issue, you know, like some you can't and she did not need a swing speed. So, you know, where's our ego stepping in? Where is our self-acceptance not sh showing up? And in that way is where I go with that too. And then we go to the kinetic chain. Where are the weak points in the kinetic chain or are the weak points in here? And then you're training the body incorrectly because you can't get this out of your head that it's got to be this way. And another thing we can take from Bryson is he's analytical, but you just proved that he is creative because he's detached from outcome. He If it doesn't work, he's not attached. And it's so funny as a coach, I teach total passion for the game, but yet total detachment from outcome. And it's like an ironic process. And it makes my some of my clients with their eyes crossed. <laughs> Look at me with their eyes crossed because they're like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it so. is so hard, though, because I went out for the first time this year and just played nine. It was not the greatest nine whatsoever. Right. I was hoping to just do better. And just, again, I was trying some new things that I, I learned in, in a lesson. And, of course, you know, things aren't going to go 
planned perfectly, especially when you're implementing new things on the course. Yeah. And it's so hard to not be tied to an outcome when yeah, it is. You know, the outcome is what you're looking for, right? Yes. That's the irony. Yeah. <laughs> that's the irony of it. And it's like an energy that is it is and that's what it is in life always. And and then it's that so why I go back to breathing is because we can overanalyze that uh, that situation, that exact perplexion we have over that. And so then you go back into the body and you try to get it done. Feel-wise, belief-wise is all about how you feel. Does your thought align with how you feel? And that's back to that putt. That's alignment. And you feel it. So you can't tell me you don't have it because it's technically fortune-telling. It is. It knows. And it does. So. Yep. So it's either already happened, we can go like way down the physics and quantum level, or, and we man we already manifested it, we can tap in and feel the timeline, or we can also say that that belief made us really tap into our physical ability and we execute because it we we felt the 360 degree look at that hole and all those things that make us feel confident that we're about to put the putt in may be all aligned and you hit it. We can debate that a different day, which one it is, right? But essentially, you feel it, and then it executes. So it's right. something. It isn't nothing. Yeah. No, you're right. Well, I can't believe it's already been 41 minutes just about um, <laughs> to be uh, cognizant of both of our times. Yes, of um, course. Let's, um, one, let's get into some of the ending questions first, okay. and then we'll we'll talk about how people can get in contact with you. Okay. But I sent I sent you these questions. And uh, my first one basically is, you know, what is the best golf course that you've played? And I'm sure you've had opportunity to play some some decent ones playing in college. Yeah. So actually some of my, I have many favorite courses, but Hamilton Golf and Country Club, I think the last Canadian Open was there last, if my memory serves me correct, apologies if I'm wrong, but Hamilton Golf and Country Club was really beautiful uh, when I played it. So that was a really great course here. I haven't played much in the States and I'd like to. Uh, so when everything opens up, that is the goal. Um, yeah. my mom and dad, my mom's been to the masters, my dad's been to the masters. Oh, and so they've seen courses. My dad played Pebble beach. I believe it is if I'm wrong on that. Um, yeah. and, uh, and so we, he's a truck driver, so he does that a lot. He can get out on courses. And nice. so there's lots down there. My mom's played in Scotland. Uh, so okay. they've got cool golf course experience. Never got on to St. Andrews, but I have a friend that did. Got up at like the crack of dawn and got in a foursome. But mine is in Ontario. It's in the in the Canadian vicinity. Very nice. Um, the second question is: You have a risky approach shot to the green. Are you going to go for it, or are you laying up? If I can feel that my heart is aligned with how my brain is thinking, I'm going. If nice. I if I go up to it and go, I'm going, and I can feel that that's the truth that I believe that, then I go. If I don't feel I believe it, I don't go. So that's okay. the mindset coach's response. Hey, I love it. And then the last one, you're going to go out for a round. Who is in your dream foursome? Well, I have such a corn sauce answer for this because my dream foursome is always my loved ones. And But the other, I have two, I couldn't come up. Like I want any of them, all of them, every right. single one. Give me them all. But my, if I had to pick a male team and a female team, sure. um, my female team is Siri Pock, Brooke Henderson, and Annika Sorenstan with me. Uh, my, my male group is Arnie, Ernie, and Tiger. Awesome. That so would be, be, those would be good groups. That's for sure. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Hillary, 
thank you so much for coming on. If anyone has questions, wants to get in contact with you, wants to work with you, yeah. how can they go ahead and do that? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. My handle on Instagram is at groundyourgame. If you want to find me on, link, on LinkedIn, you can just search Hillary Bennett and you can get me, message me there. Twitter is at your uh, ground at groundyourgame1, the number one. So you can find me, message me there, or you can email me at groundyourgame at gmail.com. Awesome. I will have uh, make sure that I get all of that linked up in the show notes so people sure. can just go ahead and just Thank click you. on that. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to chat with me and uh, really spread some of your knowledge. I think we may have to do another one of these because there's so I much would love to. to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, really I'm happy to. Yeah, yeah and awesome. I, it's been my pleasure today. This was a lot of fun. All right. That wraps up this week's episode with Hillary. I really hope that you enjoyed this week's episode. There are lots of little nuggets in this episode, so make sure that you go ahead and go back and listen to this episode again as they're just hidden throughout. Hillary looks at so many things that I don't even think about to look at, uh, especially when studying professional golfers' games. So again, make sure you go ahead and go back and listen to that episode to pick up some other little nuggets that you may have missed the first time around. As always, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to download this episode and listen to myself and Hillary speak. I know that you could have done anything with your time, but you chose to listen to us, and thank you so much for doing that. With that being said, we will officially wrap this episode up. As always, keep working hard, keep striving for excellence, because when you feel great, you golf great.